House of Panem International, welcome to our broadcast. Be blessed. I greet you, beloved, in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. And uh, uh, it's such an honor. And it is a privilege to be standing in front of you to share the word of God. And I just want to take this opportunity to, to thank Apostle for giving us this opportunity to share. Uh, it is not because we know better, but it is to expose us. <laughs> so, th th thank you, thank you, and uh, uh, I'm honored to be, and you have to preach. <laughs> and there are bishops, there are prophets, there are evangelists, all these anointed men and women of God. So you really have to think twice on what you're about to say. Hallelujah. But it's an honor to be in the presence of all of you, uh, especially the first-time visitors, uh, those that are here for the first time. Thank you so much for having chosen to join us this day. We are honored to have you. And um, among those that are joining us for the first time is my mom. Uh, <laughs> so, if, if you remember my cousin Nicole, I may not remember her. Yeah. So, her mom is here, and she's my mom as well. So, uh, she's seated right there next to Mrs. Pastor Box. I think she visited. I don't know if it's the right time. <laughs> yeah, so she'll go and tell them at home. But, uh, yeah, but otherwise, like Apostle said, we, it's like I'm feeling an echo a bit. I don't know whether it's this, this uh, monitor. So, um, like Apostle said, that we, we are just going to share the word of God, nothing hectic, just the word of God. And uh, I, I will just continue where uh, other ministers that have ministered before me left off in terms of uh, serving God. And the past, those other two weeks, Pastor Zimba was preaching to us about serving God. And then, uh, was it last week where Apostle Munya was preaching? Or the other week, Apostle Munya spoke to us about the seven responsibilities of a Christian. And uh, those responsibilities that he mentioned, they, they are there to serve God. Uh, and he said, uh, responsibilities come with accountability, right? So when you serve God, you need to give an account. There's an accounting that you have to do. You need to balance of the record. You need to reconcile, to do reconciliation. You need to go and draw a bank statement and check the transactions that have been made. Check your expenses and your income and see if things are balanced. And you check if you misused the funds. Oh, 
if you got an income that you were not supposed to get because we only because <laughs> we only we only look at did I spend more but we don't check if I received more than what I was supposed to receive because no one goes back and say where is this coming from when we receive more so so that that it, it is a life of a Christian that you need to sit back and look and take stock, account. We need to account, right? We need to account. So I am going to, like I said, go a little bit further from where they left in terms of how we ought to serve God. And uh, the one area that we don't like to hear uh, as believers is saving God through our finances. But, but a Christian that is sold out for God accounts to God for their finances. You just kept quiet there. I was expecting it. If I was in your shoes, I was also going to keep quiet. It's a, it's, a, it's a very sensitive subject to speak about, especially with what has been happening within the body of Christ. When we speak about offerings, when we speak about tithes and all those things, uh, there's this perception that we have now uh, about where the finances go, who gets rich, who gets poor, and, uh, and all those things. And um, I will try, I pray that God helps me to, to bring across what he wants to speak to us this day. Hallelujah. So, in my church overseas, there was a time where the issue of tithes and offering was ministered or was preached. From that day, I began to give my tithes and offerings. Look at me. I'm not perfect. You know, all of you, you know that this man is not perfect at all. But I managed to start giving my tithes and offerings. You are better than me. And I can... <laughs> And I know you can do better than me. Not to say you don't give your tithes and offerings, but this is a testimony for me. That when, when can you reduce the, can you reduce it? That when, when tithes and offerings was preached uh, in my church overseas, it was years back, I think around, uh, well, maybe about 2005, 2006. Some of you thought maybe at that time I was still in high school. No, I wasn't. I, I heard the message of tithes and offerings, and I began giving my tithes and offerings at that time, and I've never missed giving my tithes and offerings. There was a time where I was working at a restaurant, and um, at a restaurant, there's no salary. Right? You get commission from yourselves, and you also get tips. So I made it a point that, you know, whenever I go to work, all the tips that I get for that day, I record them. So I had a book, 
So you know sometimes we get 50 rands, sometimes we get 100 rands, sometimes 10 rands. So every day I'll come back home. I would have used maybe some of the money for transport, for food and all that, but I will record that today I made 100 rands from tips. Tomorrow I record 200 rands. Then at the end of the month when I get my commission from myself, I'll reconcile. I'll do the balance of the books and I'll calculate my 10% and I'll give it. And I moved from working from a restaurant and I was employed permanently uh, by a company. And when things were, I felt at that time, it was around 2020, that you know what, I think I've, I'm enough of this company. I prayed to God that I need another job. And I told God that if you don't give me another job, then there's no time. Then, then from there, God just used someone to get me another job, and I got another job. And um, I'm working, and I, I believe strongly that there's no way we can run out of income if we give our tithes to God. So, like I said, that I'm not a perfect man, but one thing that I've I know is it is by the grace of God that I'm working and I've got a source of income. I thank God for that. But I believe that part of that is because of my giving of tithes and offerings. Hallelujah. So that is my testimony. I know you, you have lots of testimonies that you can share with us in terms of tithes and offerings. But um, there's, um, there's a problem that we've had within the body of Christ, like I said, that when this message is being preached, it is kind of manipulative, if you understand what I mean. Uh, we unfortunately have been manipulated into giving. It has come with some uh, level of deception that we get deceived to give. And when we get deceived to give, we believe wrongly, if you understand me. When, when, you know, believing, just believing is not enough. But we need to believe right, right? We need to believe in a right way. So we can believe that when we give our tithe, this is what will happen. And maybe that is wrong. Because some, some, some will tell you that, you know, when you bring, bring your money and next, by next year, this time, this will happen. And then you believe it. But that is not what God has said, right? So it's about what has God said. And simply, what God says is what is in his word. We cannot separate God from his word. God is his word. So if we are to give any reference... When it comes to scripture, it is through the word of God. So what has God said about tithes and offerings? That is what we need to keep. What men say in their quest to cause us to give, then it's something else. We understand that. What men say about tithes and offerings in their quest to cause us to give is something else. It's something different. right? So we need to understand what God says about giving. So I am going to 
to try and speak. I'm not going to dwell much on tithes and offerings, but I want I want us to open our minds a bit in terms of just a lifestyle of a of a, of a, of, a, of a Christian. You know, why do we have to give? When do we give? And all those things. And even as we go, I want you to keep in mind uh, Luke chapter six, verse thirty-eight. Yeah? Luke chapter six, verse thirty-eight. Uh, don't forget the scripture. Yeah? The word of God says, give, and it shall be given to you, right? Give, and it shall be given to you. So, whatever we say today, keep that scripture in mind. At the back of your mind, know that give, and it shall be given back to you. So, that is the word of God. That is what God has spoken. When you give, it shall be given back to you, right? But what that scripture does not say is, are we supposed to give because it shall be given back to us? Is our motive for giving that it will be given back to us? Is that our motive? You see, so... That's, that's, that's where we need to draw a fine line. There's a fine line there. Because the word of God says, give and it shall be what? Given back to you. But when we come and give, am I taking out something because I've seen that, okay, if I take out, then I will receive. Is that my reason for giving? Is my reason for giving the fact that I will be given back or it will be given back to me? You know, children when they have a, a sweet and you ask for a sweet, they'll give it to you, right? And then after giving it to you, what do they do? They cry for it. The same sweet that they gave you, they cry, they want it back. So they were giving because you said give, but they still want it back. So when we come before God and say we are giving, but we want to get back, it means we still want that which we are giving. Right? We still want it back. So we are not really giving. It is what's in it for me. Right? Thank you, sir. Thank you, thank you. Yes, sir. Yes. So give and it shall be given back to you. Keep that scripture in mind. Right? So it's God who promises in his word that whenever we give, it will, it will get given to us. Right? But there's something that um, I want us to understand that the life of giving for a Christian, it is a lifestyle. It is, it is something that we need to become. It's something that, it is, you, know, you know, it's like it's expected of a Christian to give. Right? You know, there's someone that was speaking to me and saying they, they got employed at a certain company and they, they, when they got employed, they found out that their supervisor is a Christian and they were so happy that the supervisor is a Christian. They knew that this person, it means my work here is going to be smooth 
everything will go well because the person that is leading me is a Christian. And we say we share the same values, we speak the same language and all that. But he says a few months down the line, they had to leave that job because of that person, a Christian. They moved to another job. When they moved to another job, they found out that the manager there was a Christian. And they, they said, you know what, I hope this one is a proper Christian or a true Christian compared to that one. And it was at a bank. And this person worked for some time. And they left because of that manager. They moved to where they are currently working. I'm talking about, I'm not going to say a name because they did not give me the right to say this. But I'm, I'm telling you something that this person came and told me straight, straight up to say, I'm, where I am currently working, the department that I went into, the manager there is a pastor. And it so happened that after a few months of working, there was a, a post, an opportunity in another department. He says, one of the motives, one of the things that motivated me to move to the other department was the pastor. The treatment of the pastor to his people or the, to the people that he was leading. So when I heard that, you know, yes, I was broken. I also said, Jesus, like you. But... I, I, I thought in my mind, but why? Why is it like this? This guy, when he went to work and he heard that this one is a pastor, this one is a, a Christian and all that, they had certain expectations, right? Because this is a pastor or this is a Christian, you expect certain things. There certain, there's a certain conduct. There are certain values there's a certain way of living. There's a certain way of leading that we expect from a person who is a Christian. It should come naturally, right? But they did not find that, and they had to move. But I tell you, if no one had said this person is a Christian, or if they had not discovered that this person is a Christian, whatever the treatment they were going to stay, regardless of the treatment, right? So there are certain things that are expected of Christians, certain values, certain behaviors, because we have chosen to live this kind of a life. If you hear that this person who is living in the world, this is what they do, no, it's normal. It's actually, that is why they are living in the world. But it's something else when a Christian is doing certain things that are, that are not in line with the word of God. Hallelujah. So these are the, they, they are principles that we need to follow as Christians, right? And um, it is those values and principles that make us Christians. What sets us apart? What sets us apart from the world? Like I say, I'm a Christian. How different am I from a person who's not a Christian? It is because of my conduct. It has to be my conduct. It has to be my principles. It has to be the values that I keep. That is what keeps me apart. That is what separates me. That is what separates you from a person who's a non-Christian. Right? Otherwise, there's no reason for us to be called Christians and we do the same things that the world does. 
and we are in the same boat with the world. There has to be a distinction. Some of the, uh, and, th and that distinction is our way of life because that is a definition of a Christian. It is not to come to church every Sunday. It is not to pray every evening or every morning. It is also the way we live our lives. There are some principles and some values and some behaviors that define us. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. Maybe let's, let's, let's quickly read that scripture. Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, I mean chapter 6. Uh, I'll read. I'll quickly read. Hebrews chapter 6 says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment and, 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 and all that. I'm just reading this scripture to say there are certain levels in a Christian life that, I mean, we need to get to a certain level as a Christian where there are certain, some things are elementary. We cannot be going back to speaking about elementary stuff. We need to grow. They, they say there's a lot, there are bigger fishes to fish, ne? There are bigger things about Christianity that we really need to do what to concentrate on. We need to move from elementary teachings. So we cannot be going back to speaking about tithes and offerings for 15 years to the same person, right? We need to grow. We need to move from those and be at another level because as long as we do not get the elementary, as long as we do not get the foundation, we cannot go to the next level, right? So there are times, I, I, I know we've got new people in the house, we've got new believers, we've got young people and all that, and this teaching about tithes and offerings is important to them. But if I've been saved and born again for five, 10 years, 15 years and all that, but I'm still struggling to, when it comes to the issue of giving, not only tithes, but also just offerings, just to offer as a, as, a, as a Christian, then there's a problem because we're still going back to elementary teachings. We still need elementary teachings, yet we need to grow to a level where this is just a lifestyle. When, 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 when it comes to income, it is expected for a child of God to give their tithe. It's not something that we need to, to be to debate about. It is not something that, 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 that we need to, to remind one another about, right? It's something that must be engraved within us. That I'm a Christian. My duty is to see some, the next person's well-being getting better. So if she doesn't have this, my duty is to make sure that I help them. If the church is lacking this. My duty is to ensure that I stretch my, my hand and assist. If uh, 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 my neighbor is lacking in any way, my duty is to ensure that I do what? I reach out and help. That is 
what is expected of a Christian. It's surprising that the world is doing that and Christians are not. The world is doing that and Christians are not. Look at what Jesus Christ says about tithes in, in the book of um, Matthew chapter 23. I want to show you that it's, it's, it's really elementary. If tithes and offerings have never been preached to you, I understand. If the preaching that you heard about tithes and offerings was deceptive, I understand. If it was manipulative, I understand. Because, honestly, it has to be from God. It's, you know, there are pastors that when they know that they want to go on holiday with their family, they come and preach about tithes and offerings. They've got a holiday planned already. But if that is not the case, I don't see why we are not giving those that are not. So I understand, because sometimes we were manipulated, we were deceived. But those that deceived and manipulated us, they were using the word of God. So it means despite being deceived and manipulated, whatever they were saying was from the word of God. They did it for their own personal interest, so that to cause us to give, so that they can do whatever they want. I know these days, there's, I, I saw another picture, uh, this man, big man being fed by the congregants and all that, and the congregants, the pictures showing the congregants that they are poor, but they are feeding a rich man, and another one, Jesus Christ feeding the 5,000, and they say, Jesus Christ used to feed the 5,000. Now the 5,000 are feeding the, the pastor, right? So though all those things, they, they are, they, they, yes, they are opening our eyes, but it does not take out the fact that we still have to do what we have to do. We still have to give. So unfortunately, there are those that have messed up the plan of God, but the plan of God remains. Hallelujah. So, Matthew chapter 23, the verse is 23. Listen to what Jesus Christ is saying. He's saying, Who to you teachers of the law and Pharisees? You hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Do you have another, another version there? If you, can, if you can give me amplified. You, you, do we hear? You know, when I read the scripture, I was, wow. I was like, wow. Do you hear what Jesus Christ is saying? Matthew chapter 23, the verse is, uh, is 23. It's also in Luke, 40, in Luke 11, 42. He says, Woo to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter 
without neglecting the former. Jesus Christ is telling us to pay our tithes. He is, right? He's telling us that we must pay. Are you getting amplified there? He's telling us that we must pay our tithes. But he's saying we cannot come and pay our tithe and live a different life out there. Right? So our tithes must be also accompanied by the way of life. Because now there are people in the church that, uh, that, that give their tithe so that they can so, yeah, so that they can be approved, so that the pastors and the preachers can raise them, cause them to stand and say, you see this one, you see that one, you know, they, some, some they are actually looking for positions. Let me, uh, <laughs> let me, let me, let me read in, in Amplified. It says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, pretenders, hypocrites, for you give a tenth of your mint and dill and cumin." and have neglected and omitted the weightier, more important. Tithe is important, but it is not more important. So if we fail to do the least, this scripture is telling me that tenth is the least of the things that we can ever do as a Christian. But if we can't do the least, Will we be able to do the more important? And omitted the weightier, more important matters of the law, right and justice and mercy and fidelity. These you ought particularly to have done without neglecting the others. A tithe is the others, man. Giving of tithe is one of those things that Christians do at, at all times. A Christian that can't see the need to give, whether it is in a church or to any other person. We, we know from scripture that these Pharisees and all the scribes and the teachers of the law at that time, the reason why they were giving even to the last penny in terms of their tithing, they were religious when it comes to that. They did not miss it. They gave to the last penny of their tithes. One of the reasons is because they did that just to be acknowledged. 
they gave so that they can be acknowledged, that they are givers, they give. We see that even when we read um, in the book of, um, where is that scripture? I hope I will find it. Um, if you remember the prayer of a Pharisee, remember Jesus Christ where he said, they go to temples and they stand in public and they pray. It's Luke 18. Um, and they pray. Luke 10. 18 verse 10. So Luke 10, 18 verse 10 says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, and one Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like the tax collector, this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. The reason why they will do this is was simply for acknowledgement, that they be acknowledged. So the motive be, uh, behind giving was a very wrong motive. Because they were exalting the minor things. They are exalting the minor things, the, 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 the other things that he's talking about there. Those are the ones that they were exalting and neglecting every other thing. So we need to come to a point where giving, whether tithes and offerings, it's, it's a normal thing. That is why I think, that is why even Apostle, Apostle Elias actually told us about tithe, that there's no one that gives more than anyone when it comes to tithing. Tithe, the value of tithe is the same for all of us. That is why it's tithe. The only difference is the other one can be more in terms of how much because it's 10% of your income. If I earn 5,000 rands, I give 500 rands. And you earn 50,000 rands, you give 5,000 rands. We all have given the same. It is equivalent. So that no one boasts that I give more than anyone else. If you give your tithe, if your tithe is one rand, it's, it's the same as the one that is giving 100,000 rands in tithing. So that these pastors and apostles and bishops and high priests and chief, chief, what, what, they won't come here and say, you know, this one gave more than anyone else. No, it is the same. So there's no one that is more important than the other when it comes to giving. We all serve God the same. Hallelujah. So it is a cry of my heart that this kind of, this kind of conduct becomes a normal conduct, becomes something that is expected from all of us, and let it be something that we do not struggle to do. Hallelujah.
So they, there is a debate that there's no tithing in the New Testament, but there are scriptures that we can look into where it shows that tithing is not an Old Testament thing. And uh, even though the scriptures cannot be saying exactly that tithe, give your tithe, but if we are to quote Old Testament scriptures about being blessed, coming in and going out, being blessed in the city and in the fields and all that, and they are not in the New Testament, but we quote them. And they really work. When we confess those scriptures, they work. So if tithing is mentioned in the Old Testament, we still have to do it because it's, it's the word of God. But however, like we read from the book of Matthew, Jesus Christ is saying, you shouldn't neglect the former. You should have done the latter. So faithfulness, justice, all these things we have to practice. It is the conduct of a Christian. It is the behavior of a Christian. Out there, the world has lots of injustice. Have you seen the injustice in the world? And we are busy tithing in the house and not going out to stand for that injustice. Some preacher once said, a Christian is an activist for the kingdom of God. We cannot allow the things to happen out there in the world and keep quiet and continue to give to the tiniest of our tithe. But we shouldn't neglect our offerings. We should conduct ourselves as Christians. Hallelujah. But why do we struggle to give? Why are we struggling to give? Why are we struggling to give? It is because we have taken the nature of the world. We have taken the nature of the world and we need to repent. We have become like the world. You know, you know, you know in the world we celebrate rich people. Every poor person celebrates a rich person. Everyone that is poor celebrates a rich person. No rich person celebrates a poor person. Right now, within the soccer fraternity or the soccer world, there's a division that those that go for King Messi and those that go for King Ronaldo and the reason for that is all because they are rich. If those guys had the gift, but they did, they did not have the money that they have, no one would be speaking about them. So it's not only about how good they are when it comes to playing soccer. It's also how rich they are. That is causing us to go for them and to celebrate them. Not a problem. It's good. Let's celebrate people's success. But the problem is we end up worshipping them. If you see or if you find people speaking about these rich people, it's something else. So the world has caused us to exalt wealth more than more than even more than even humanity. If a person is a drug lord, as long as they're driving a Maserati. 
they are driving an Austin Martin. They are, what they do behind closed doors, we don't care. We celebrate them. When they come here, we bow. It's because of their wealth and their riches that causes us to bow. So it's what we celebrate. And that has brought greed. Because every one of us wants to be celebrated. When I come here, I want everyone to say, hey, Khrutman, Khrutman. Hey, Khrutman. Ne? I want that. All of us. So because we want that acknowledgement, we want that status, we then become greedy. When we are greedy, we cannot give. You know, they say, it's what, 1% of the world population is rich, ne? 1%. Ne? Is, is that what it is now? It's still 1%, ne? The richest of the rich is just 1% of the population, of the world population. And they say, that 1% of the world's population, the rich ones, the billionaires, if they were to donate 1% of their wealth, all of them, only 1%, not 10%, not a tithe, only 1% of their wealth, this world, no country will be poor in this world. That's what they say. Ne? The people, the billionaires, look, I'm talking about billionaires, if they donate 1% of their wealth, they say this world, no one will be poor in this world. So why are they not doing that? It's greed, ne? They want to be honored there as the richest of the rich, right? They want to make it on the Forbes magazines as number one richest man in the world, ne? That's what they want. But we know that greed breeds injustice. Yeah? You cannot be a greedy person and a just person at the same time. You cannot fight for people's justice if you are greedy. Because it comes with shedding part of your wealth. That is why Jesus Christ said to the rich young man that if you have done all things and you want to inherit the kingdom of God, go and sell all you have right? And give to the poor. Because that is justice. But when I was thinking about that, no, they, they, they say there are some people that are rich such, in, in such a way that if they were to have seven lives, they would still be rich, even on their seventh life. Meaning they are rich now, they live until 100 years, they die, they get born not again, but they get born. Ne? They get born, they live another hundred years, they will still be rich and die and get born, live another hundred years, they will still be rich for seven lives. There are people that are rich to that extent. Ne? So this is what is driving us. This is what, is, this, this is what motivates us. We want to be there as well. We want to be part of the magazine. Another preacher was saying to me, uh, not to me, but was saying, uh, yes, to me, yes, yeah, it was also to me, that he was, he was surprised to see in, a, in another magazine 
that is uh, the list of 10 richest pastors in the world. He says, I mean, really, the 10 richest pastors in the world, is that what it is now? Is that all there is about being a pastor? That we are now rating pastors' riches. You are a great pastor because you, are, you have got so much riches and wealth. Is that what it is? Is that what we are looking at now? So this, the, 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 this is where the problem is. That, that's why I'm saying the church, we are slowly drifting into becoming the world instead of the world becoming the church. We ought to inspire the world, but the world is inspiring the church. What the world is doing is what we are adopting. Unfortunately, we want also to make it in that, in that, on that list. But how does it help? The word of God says, what does it benefit you to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Is that what we have become as Christians? So it is, it is those things that are causing it to be difficult for us to give. Apart from the, the manipulative issues and all that and all that, but also greed has crept into the church. I want when I come here, I must park there and let us X, X6. Everyone must see that, no, Pastor Mdu, you, you see Pastor Mdu, they must, no, they must come and at least polish my shoes there when I come in. You know, I must be the respected one in this church. Everyone must look up to me. Not even up to God. So this, this, this is what has come into the church. We want to command respect by being wealthier than the other. That is why we even go outside there and check who's driving what. When someone comes in driving a big car, we give them a francie to give them all the respect. So, when you are greedy, there's no justice within you. So that is what is causing us not to even see the need to give. That is what is causing us not to see the need of offerings, giving to the poor, giving to the widows, giving to the needy. We don't see those things because everything must be for me. But how are we going to break free from this thing? How are we going to break free from this? Because we have to break free from it. God wants us to, to be rich. God wants us to prosper. The word of God says, God is pleased in the prosperity of his servant. So when we prosper, God is pleased. So he wants us to, but not in the way that we are trying to gain the riches and the wealth. So how are we going to break out of this? It is through the realization that it is through the realization that the earth belongs to God. It says the earth 
and all that there, that dwell therein, they belong to me. Everything created belongs to God. Everything on this earth belongs to God. When we realize that, we are going to break free from this greed. He says, uh, uh, Apostle Paul, in the book of Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, quickly. Verse, uh, the verses 20 and 21. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Can, 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 we, can we hear the words of Apostle Paul? Can I read again? Philippians 1, the verses 20 and 21. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Number one. says his expectation is that Christ must be exalted in his, in his life or in his body. Whether by what? Whether by life or by death. That as long as he's alive, let it be Christ that gets exalted in him. So that means his conduct, the principles and the values of Apostle Paul were in such a way that Christ be exalted in whatever he does. Let it be Christ that gets exalted. So that means if he gets rich, if he becomes wealthy, let Christ be exalted in that which he has become. This was Apostle Paul's prayer. A man that we all know, he could have been anything that he wanted to be. And he says, apart from all my, my achievements, all I want is Christ to be exalted within me. And the word of God says, whatsoever we do, in deed or in word, whatever, whether we eat or we drink, let all be done to what? to the glory of God. So whether we, we amass all the riches, we get all the wealth, let that be to the glory of God the Father. But it can never be to the glory of God if we can't even give our offerings and tithes. If we can't do the mere tithing, it cannot be to the glory of God. So Apostle Paul challenged me through the scripture. And it says on verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me to live is Christ. It means the reason for his life was Christ. So if the reason for him to live was Christ, it means everything about his life, it had to be in alignment with that which Christ wants. Hallelujah. It means everything 
about Apostle Paul's life had to be in alignment with the will of God. So he began to acknowledge. So that is number one. Acknowledging that for us to live is Christ. We are not here on our own. And we are not here for ourselves. For us to live is Christ. Apostle Paul's life was consumed in the work of the ministry. Was consumed in pleasing God. So meaning in every other area, our lives must be consumed in Christ. It is to realize that we are because of Christ. Whatever we have become is because of Christ. That is the realization that Apostle Paul had, that for me to live is Christ. So whatever keeps me going every day of my life, it is nothing but Christ. Whatever I have achieved in my life is simply because of Christ. So when we know that we have what we have because of Christ, there's no way we can be greedy. There's no way we can be stingy. Because we begin to realize that the one that gave me in the first place has got even more that he can give. So if today I give away 100,000 rands, if that 100,000 rands came from, from Christ, it does not mean much from me or for me. Or it shouldn't. Because I know that the source cannot be depleted. For to me, for to me to live, he says to me, is that right English? For me to live is Christ. So I cannot live apart from him. I cannot live without him. Right? The fact that I'm alive today is because of him. It's not because of my job. It's not because of my wealth. It's not because of my riches. It's not because of my bank balance. It's not because of the cars that I'm driving. It's not because of any other thing. It's simply because of... So if I lose one car, if for me to live is Christ, it shouldn't really bother me much. Because I understand that I have all these things only because of Christ. For me to live is Christ. I want you to understand that. When we come to realizing that we are on this earth solely because of Christ, then we cannot struggle to do these things. It cannot be a mission to accomplish them. Because we understand that all our being is in Christ. Do we understand that? We understand that all our being is all because of Christ. I have the job that I have because of Christ. I don't even qualify. I don't even have the qualifications of the job that I'm doing. But I'm doing it because of Christ. So why must it be a struggle for me to take what Christ has given me and give it where Christ wants me to give it? Because he's the one that gave in the first place. 
unless he has given me, and after having given me, I don't believe that he's able to give me again. Which, is, which can only be motivated by greed. To say, I want to keep it, otherwise I won't get it again. So we see that it goes deeper than just not fulfilling the mandate for giving. It goes deeper into our faith. Do we really believe that we have what we have because of Christ? If we do, do we believe that the same Christ can give us even more than what we have? So why are we struggling to give? The only struggle to give will only be because we don't believe that the same Christ is able to give us again. Have we read the story of Job? Have we read Job? When we read the story of Job from Job chapter 1, the word of God says Job was an upright man. He was a perfect man. A man that feared God. And the word of God says he was a rich man, a wealthy man. He was one of the greatest men that lived at that time because of, of his wealth and riches. And the word of God says he had seven sons. Was it seven sons or seven children? And the word of God says, these sons, time and again, went parting. We know, we know the story, né? Job chapter 1. It says these sons or his children, time and again, they went for parties. Time and again. Job. Every weekend. strong. So Job chapter 1, verse 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He, was, he had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, five. 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys and had a large number of servants. He was, a, he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Uh, when a period of feasting had, had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would uh, sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. So Job had seven sons and three daughters, ten in total, children and a wife, one in total. So, so, so these children used to have parties, ne? 
they would go and drink and eat. And we know when they say drink, they don't mean water. When, so, 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 so then it says, when the period of feasting came to an end, Job will do what? He will sacrifice to God on their behalf. He will go and do burnt offerings. And he says, in case, in their drinking and parting, they cursed God, which is normal with people that party. Which is normal with what? The people who party. In their parting, they tend to curse God. Because they do not realize that for them to live is Christ. Right. So look at Job. Job regularly did what? Offered to God. He sacrificed to God. And the sacrifices at that time, it was, the requirement was to uh, slaughter uh, a bull, right? So it says for each of them, for the ten of them, you will slaughter a bull for each of them. So it means ten down every time there's a party. Ten is going down to God. God forgive. If these kids cursed you, please forgive them. Takes ten of them. They go down. Right? So then verse six, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered and uh, answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. He still, do, he still does that now. The Satan is still roaming the earth right now. He's on roaming. <laughs> He's still roaming the earth to and fro. Agakatar. Ne? Up and down. To and fro the earth. He's still doing that. Then uh, the Lord, verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered my servant Job? The answer that Satan uh, brings to God shows that Satan had considered Job. He had considered him because here is his answer. It says there's no one, uh, I mean God said, this is God still speaking, it says there's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. The conduct of Job, a man who is upright, blameless, fears God, shuns evil. This is what is expected of us as Christians, right? Just that conduct. And that conduct, God calls Job his servant because of the conduct. So the, a servant is not a pastor. Only. It's not a bishop only. It's not your evangelist only. A Christian whose conduct is blameless, upright, perfect, fears God, is a servant of God. God considers you a servant. Because this is how we serve God. Does Job fear God for nothing? That's certain now. Certain replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands. 
so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. So, like I said, that this response of Satan shows that Satan had considered Job. He had considered him. But even in his consideration of Job, he could do nothing on Job. Why? Because of the conduct of Job. Because of how Job lived his life. To say Job, he was willing to say, my children are going for a party and all that. After that, let me sacrifice. Let me go and do an offering. Let me give to God and ask and repent on their behalf. This was his regular custom. Right? So look at that kind of a character. For me, it is selfless. How many of us will be willing to do that for our children, no matter how much we love them? To part with our wealth because of their parting. So it shows that Job realized one thing, that I live because of God, that I have all these things because of God. The richest man in the land at the time who feared God. God is showing us that when we begin to offer to God, when we begin to sacrifice to God, God puts a hedge around us. God begins to put a hedge around us. But this cannot be if all we do is to tithe, if all we do is to offer. It can only be when it is coupled with a life that is blameless, a life that is upright, a life that shows the fear of God. Look, the children of Job were partying, they were drinking, they were doing all sorts of things. But the reason why they were protected was because of their father. That is why even God gave certain entry into Job's life. He said, do not touch my servant. Do not touch Job. Job lost his wife and all his children and all his wealth. But one thing that he said after he'd lost all, he said, God gives and God takes. He acknowledged that he, all he had came from God. That is why even after losing, he did not curse God. That is why even when he still had, he still gave to God. It was because he understood that God gives. Or all I have came from God. The only reason why you are not giving is because you don't think that God is the one that gave you. If you really know that it came from God, you won't have a problem giving it back to God. And because he does not ask for everything, he only asks for a certain portion. And he says, when you have done that, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you. He is still going to give you more. That is why I said, keep look. Uh, the scripture and look that given shall be given to you in the, at the back of your mind. But do not make that scripture 
as a motivation for you to give, that because it will be given back to me, I will give. No. We give because we acknowledge that God is the one that has given me, that has given to me. That I do not have all these things on my own accord. It is not because I am worthy. It is not because I deserve. It is not because I've earned. It is simply through the grace of God that he has chosen to give to you what he has given to you. Let me tell you one thing. That the children of Job and his wife, the Bible does not speak about their conduct before God. What the Bible tells us is his children, they often had parties where they would eat and drink. And the fact that Job had the consciousness to think that maybe they might have cursed God, he knew they were not upright. Job knew that his kids were not upright. He knew that his kids never did not fear God. But still, when the enemy considered them, before God gave him a go-ahead to attack, he could not attack them because of Job's conduct. So you might be there, and you are the reason why the enemy cannot attack your family. Just like Job, the enemy could not attack his wife, he could not attack his children, he could not attack anything that called Job. Even his servants was because of only that one man, Job, because of his life that he lived before God. So imagine you alone, you begin to live that kind of a life. Check how many people you're going to serve. So your whole family can be saved or can be protected. Even though they don't believe in God, they can be protected because of you. Your whole family, I want to, do, to say this again, can be protected from the enemy just because of your conduct. One man's conduct protected his wife, ten children, and all his servants. That kind of a, wealth, a wealthy man definitely had lots of servants, and they were protected. It means even those servants' families were protected because of job. That is why when God said, fine, enemy, you can attack. He attacked the children, the wife, and all the servants. Why? Because they were not upright before God. Otherwise, God would have spared them. So, to fathers, to men in the house, Job was a priest in his family who guarded his family by his conduct. His wife and the children and the servants were protected because of a kind of a man job has. So we have got a mandate as men to stand and be the priests of our families, to protect our families. It is not us that are going to protect, but God will protect on account of us, because of us. The moment we shift because of our conduct, the enemy who's roaming 
attacks. And maybe we are finding some attacks within our families. We can check our conduct. The only thing that Job might have failed to do was to bring his family to that level of the fear of God. Which is what me and you must begin to do now. Because we are learning from him that our children cannot perish. Our wives cannot perish. Our servants or our wealth cannot perish because of our misconduct. Or because we have not brought our families to Christ. Job was spared because in his family, he was the only one that feared God. But there was a benefit for those that were around him because of his life. So my prayer is that we begin to acknowledge that all we have is because of God and not lose that benefit because of our misconduct. Because we have not been good stewards. Or because we have allowed greed to take over. But you can begin to give your tithes and your offerings from today. Which is one of the list of the things that you can do. But today I want to give you an opportunity not to neglect the most important one. The world does tithe. There are rich people that give 10% of their income to orphanages, to charities, and to all that. But as long as they are not born again, when they die today, their tithe won't take them to heaven. So they are doing the least and neglecting the most important. So we might be doing the most important and neglecting the least, hence we are poor. Because that principle brings back you give and it will be given back to you. So today, I want to say where you can begin is in acknowledging that for us to live is Christ. And we can only acknowledge when we give our lives to him. Subscribe to our channel. Stay blessed.